Hello, everyone. For those who have come from the film, it's a bit of a shock going from those beautiful forests to this, isn't it? <laughs> um, I'll tell you a little bit about our speakers before I start with the questions. Furthest from me is Casimir Burgess, and, and Phil is Casimir's debut film. He made a string of shorts, fabulous shorts, including um, Lily, which won a crystal bear at the Berlin Film Festival, which is pretty rigid ditch. I saw it yesterday. It's beautiful. Watch it on Vimeo. Um, if the guy next to Casimir is making you feel a bit creepy, perhaps you saw Snowtown, because he played John Bunting. That's a terrible way to introduce you, isn't it? Um, oh, well. And uh, he's currently in cinemas in a great Australian horror film called The Babadook. And soon he'll be in another Australian film called These Final Hours, but I can't actually remember the uh, release date. July? June? Next to me, blowing kisses to somebody. Is that what you did? <laughs> Is Matt Nabel, who... I don't know how that makes Daniel feel, because he didn't get any applause. <laughs> um, Matt wrote and starred in a film called... Um, the Final Winter, about seven years ago, six, seven years ago, and has had a lot of roles since that, then, including in the, in the US, and he has also written a couple of novels, perhaps with one, a new one coming out soon, or just come out next year. Watch for that. Um, we've got an hour, and I'm going to ask questions and get the conversation going for about 40 minutes, and then I'll open it to the floor, as they say. Um, I'll probably concentrate on development and how these three work together as director and actor and actor, but they've told me they're prepared to ask any questions, what colour their underpants are, anything like that. Casimir. Hey, thanks for coming along, everyone. Can you hear me? Yeah, I have to Tell project. Us I guess we have to be aware that some people haven't seen the film. Um, tell us where the spark of the idea came from for this film. And development is a word that's sort of thrown around in, a lot in the industry. What does that mean? How did you then develop that spark of an idea? Um, well, I guess uh, Natasha Pincus and I wanted to work together and we were throwing ideas around and, and basically um, trying to find something that we both connected with and were passionate about. And that took quite some time and we were, you know, quite constructively critical with, with ideas that each of us would bring to the table. But we did find something that we thought could be worthwhile and uh, potentially to, yeah, bring something, something new and, and I guess something with some depth into the world. And so we started working on that. Um, an idea initially with more thriller tropes. It was, there was more action, there was a gun, there was bits and pieces that slowly we began to realise weren't necessarily um, in keeping with the kind of film that we wanted to make, which was asking, in the end, uh, bigger questions about um, our character's relationship. <laughs> yeah, Luke actually died in earlier drafts and so the revenge was exacted um, 
but yeah, we, we didn't feel that that um, maybe it, it didn't bring as much hope or light or redemption uh, into the lives of these characters or maybe into the audience's lives as we had hoped for. And uh, I think it's, yeah, that's an important role for, for us, I think, is to, to bring a little bit of light into the world. There is so much darkness. So, and there is also, it's quite a heavy story. So um, to have ended uh, with, with Luke dying, I think, might have um, alienated people as well. For those who haven't seen the film, what one-liner, if you were trying to get them to get to the cinema, how would you, what's the one-liner you'd use for those people who haven't seen it to get them in? <laughs> I've always struggled with this and avoided um, creating a one-liner. Uh, I guess, yeah, it's, it's revenge, redemption, renewal. It's ruminating on pretty mythic, universal themes, broadly speaking. Um, that's interesting to me, but I'm not sure how many other people um, would go and see a film based upon that. <laughs> um, Casimir mentioned the writer, Natasha. Come on. I thought you'd want to do a sweeping shot of the audience then. Matt and Dan. I'm always interested in story versus theme. And I'd, be, I'd like to hear what both of you thought of as the core of this story, or actually do you think about it more in terms of your own character's theme or story? I don't mind which one goes first. It's hard to be objective, I guess, when you're working on something, and especially something that's this dense um, and complex. So I, I, I personally don't necessarily... Uh, have a black and white idea of what the themes are. Um, and it, it colours over the, the process of immersing yourself in the work in that the deeper you understand what's going on, uh, the further away you get from it as well because it opens up so many doors um, and you lose all perspective. But you, things drop in and so you do understand potentially what you... What you, you this is a very esoteric answer. <laughs> Forgive me. Um, the, no, to answer it simply, I don't think I do think of... I'll stop myself because I'll talk for another half an hour. Yeah, yeah. Um, for me, um, I'm a father, so uh, I have three children. And so what appealed to me initially was um, the theme of loss. Um, I always, I guess the genesis for my real interest was I'd always had some sort of morbid fascination with, um, ever since this young boy was abducted in America, I would have been eight years old, his name was Adam. And um, it just really stuck in my head as a young, young child and he was found and he ended up, uh, had been killed. And so my whole life, uh, there were different markers where something like that would happen and, and I was always asking questions, how would someone move on from that, someone within the family and then becoming a father, what fascinated me even more was because you're so fearful of your children's mortality every day, um, what would happen if initially my child was taken in some sort of violent manner and I had 
wanted to really explore that, so I pitched it to my publisher and said, you know, how about for the next book we... I'm really interested in the deconstruction of a human being who loses his child and let's see where this goes. I said, I don't know what it's going to be about, but it's somewhere I'd really like to explore. So they were very excited and um, I went back and told my wife, I said, you know, this is, I think, what I'm going to do next. And, and she just said, no, you're not, you know, not while you're living with me. Um, and so, but the, it was there, the seed was there. And then this script came uh, across and uh, it, it dealt with that theme quite specifically and so for me it was already really ingrained and it was a, an opportunity to explore that um, in a shorter period of time without getting divorced and so um, that was where it happened and then um, speaking to Cass uh, immediately um, you know I got to speak to him pretty well straight after I'd read it um, and, and, and listening to how he saw it um, it became really uh, quite clear that, 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 that there were a lot of, we saw things quite similarly. So, um, and, and, and then so after that, it became one of these jobs that you ch I chased, you know, as hard as I could chase. You know, I just felt that, um, uh, that my perspective on, on loss and, and because I'd, I guess, taken myself there and wondering about it, then perhaps I'd be able to to sort of convey that so and I think having children um, and I remember saying that to you at the start you know like uh, I think you've really got to have children to to play this role um, and so that's it was the theme of loss and uh, you told me that I should also have a child before I directed such a film <laughs> I can't recall that um, yes that was just the, the theme of loss and something that had been deep-seated for a long time so did your wife think it was a romantic comedy until the world premiere last night? She, uh, she didn't really know what was happening while we were doing it. Um, I just told her that uh, I'm going off to do this film and, um, and I was away all the time. So she didn't really get to see uh, what was happening and, um, and she didn't read the script until it was already finished. So, um, yeah, I think it was confronting for her as well. But, yeah, she... I don't think I'm going to get cast in any sort of romantic comedy in the, in the near future, so <laughs> I'm sort of stuck with this stuff. Um, you mentioned the word, well, you said you chased this role. Of course I'm going to pick up on that point. Kaz, tell us about the casting process and why you ended up with these two. I guess with, with Maddie, yeah, it's true. I mean, I was looking at quite a few people you don't necessarily know straight away who's right or you need to sort of play and 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 discover um who it is that can can bring these char wonderful characters to life and um matt was you know from our first conversation on the phone I, I sensed that he was someone who could be extremely committed and deeply feeling and intuitive um yeah not not too cerebral um so he said look i'm willing to do anything for this and uh, he, he meant that, and there was lots of calls and and emails, and um, I had to get a restraining order on him. <laughs> no, but it was it was intense, and it was great, and he wore me down. <laughs> so it was nothing to do with his his great test audition or anything like that. Thank you. <laughs> and I think look, I when I say I chased it, I 
I remember saying to him at one point, you know, <laughs> ridiculously, uh, when you look, when I look back on it, I said, look, you could go anywhere in the world. I'm, I'm your guy, you know, like this yeah, is, yeah. no one can do this like I can, which is just such shit and ridiculous, <laughs> but yeah, he had to hear that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's what I believed at the time. Mm. Yeah. Well, actually, there was, you, you laid down a test, your first test actually didn't quite hit the mark, did it? In a... No, you, you came back and, I thought it did, and uh, no. <laughs> you came back and said, uh, let, let's try this and, and, um, yeah, and, and that was wonderful to have that feedback, you know. Like, as an actor, sometimes auditioning can be um, different, you know. You've got to work and you, they're not all plum jobs and at different stages you find yourself going in for something that's, you know, it's just, just a role because you, you need money, you know. Like, um, but when you have something like this, going into audition and get to play with it, particularly when you've got the director giving you notes, is wonderful. It's why you, you, you want to become an actor, is to have this collaboration. And that doesn't often happen. So to be in a situation where you know you're in the mix for a job, you're getting close and the director's still talking to you, go on tape again, do the audition again, that's, um, yeah, that, that's, that's a luxury that, that doesn't, like I said, doesn't often happen. So it was great. And with Dan, obviously, yeah, um, both of them are made sure I did, did my research and watched their work and they were both extremely competent and um, had done incredible work. But uh, Dan, we met up and it was meant to be 20 minutes, 30 minutes, something like that. And, you know, a couple of hours later, we're in a hotel room together and I'm thinking, something's gone right here. No, we... <laughs> no, but it was... That's, that's actually true. No. No, there was a, it was a really strong connection, a good chemistry with both of these guys. And that, for me, is the most important thing, in a way, to think, well, do I want to be friends with this person? Because I'm going to be spending so much time with them. We're going to war, basically, out in the mud with the leeches and the rain and, and the, you know, climbing 100-metre trees into the sky. And for me, that was my first question. Can I, can I um, be that intimate and spend that amount of time with them? Um, and, of course, it's a given that they're beautiful actors as well. Um, but it was their, both of their interpretation of the story and of the character that really was the clincher. Uh, I realised they could bring so much more than I could have hoped for um, or Natasha and I could have, yeah, possibly dreamed for. There are people in the room that aren't filmmakers Dan, in an audition, what happens? Well, no, I won't ask it like that. What did he make you do in this audition? Um, well, like I said, we met up, I had a conversation. Um, I'd been given the script and uh, like Matt was blown away and wanted to be a part of this project very badly. Um, I said to Cass, I'm yours if you want me. And he said, ah, oh, ah, oh, oh, oh. I thought we were just having coffee. So I said, would you mind if I put down an audition? Um, you pick the scene and I'll, I'll, I'll do it. Um, I was going away to America to work. Um, so within a 48 hour period, we'd met, I'd put down an audition and gotten feedback from Cass and it, thankfully for myself, it was very favorable. Um, that was about it for that as far as auditioning. But then when I got back, uh, very glad to be offered the role and Went down to Melbourne probably eight weeks before we got, got out to Warburton and 
Remember the expert. logistics of your beard at the time because you were coming of my beard. off a, yeah. another show. I couldn't. I wasn't allowed to shave it, or was I? But we just went with it anyway. Um, but yeah, I was down there for eight weeks, uh, meeting with Cass every day, getting in touch with the entire cast, meeting up with Maddie. Came down a, f- a few weeks later, um, and so the relationships that you see in the film were born out of the. The opportunity that Cass gave me to go and meet everybody and said, yeah, look, here's their phone numbers, here's their emails, go and form relationships, especially with the children, especially with little Emily, who's amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, we just went to the zoo and we the, went park to the zoo, and, park. you know, picnics and yeah. we didn't necessarily um, do scenes as such. We sort of danced around the material yeah. often. You're talking about with the children. Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And with, with Dan and Matt as well. It's just yeah. like, well, yeah, you just want to save something in the, in the bank, really, and not... Um, it's, it feels kind of sacred, and you want to save that till the day and keep it alive and fresh. Um, and it sort of builds up and accumulates all the little bits and pieces of work, that research that both of these guys were doing, infiltrating the town in a way, getting to know the locals. Dan stayed in a caravan park there and developed an alter ego... Can we hear from... Uh... Yes, yes, yes. Uh, uh, it's, it's nice to see every, every... It's nice that you've all come. Yes. I'm not sure how that helped his portrayal of Luke, but it was, it was fun. The, the shoot was unusual in some ways. Can you address that in a nuts and bolts way, perhaps comparing it to the way a usual Australian film would be? shot, time frames, etc. Yeah, so um, we didn't have a huge amount of money um, but we had, you know, really inspired uh, producers so John Maynard and Mary Minnis basically um, set a shooting methodology that would allow us um, nine weeks, which is probably four weeks longer than most shoots. Um, however, we, yeah, we wouldn't have um, very many crew. It was a kind of trade-off. So rather than 30, 40 crew, we, we would have, you know, 12 or something like that. So people were having to multitask, um, which, was, which was kind of fun. And, you know, people are standing around so often on set on the bigger films. No one was really standing around that much because, you know, you, you're doing the catering and costume or something silly like that. I'm holding a reflector and trying to direct. Uh, we didn't have toys, cranes tracks, barely even lights. We had a, a tripod for half the shoot and our brilliant um, cinematographer, Martin Dean, just became um, very good at handheld. I mean, his documentary background um, meant that he'd, he'd already... He'd been to war zones and he'd, um, I guess, tested himself in very difficult circumstances, but I think nothing probably could have prepared him for that particular area, which is very cold and having to... He would have to um, build rigs to get the cameras up 100 metres, you know, um, through the clouds and then sit up there for six hours at a time and wee into a little bottle. Um, Not always with with the best accuracy. (laughs) It was a little bit um, maybe confusing at times when we tried to to replicate the script and it it went back and forth and it was like a sort of memento, a puzzle, a beautiful... um, puzzle but uh, it felt like the power of the story and the performances really just 
ask to be told in a very straightforward way. So it became more more classic, I guess, um, in the edit. Um, you come from quite an artistic family, I believe, and went to an alternative school. This is a simple question. Could you have become an accountant? Uh, yeah, no, I, it probably would have been a a um, responsible decision to make, but I am a bit reckless. And I don't know, like, I could have become an accountant, certainly, but, yeah, my parents did nurture <laughs> nurture um, me in other, other directions as well. Sculpture and photography initially, and then to film school um, with Ari Wegner, who's... Put your hand up, Ari. There she is. Brilliant cinematographer. Um, she did Ruin, and... Yeah, so basically, um, I couldn't have become a, an accountant, no. <laughs> I'm going to ask one more question and then I'm going to open it to the floor. We've got people in blue with roving mics. Um, Matt and Dan, uh, look, this is a very general question, but I always think it can sometimes bring good answers. What was the best and the worst of actually being on set every day filming? Oh, there wasn't really a bad moment, to be honest. I, when you work on something like this with the, the, the beautiful people that we worked on, it's, it's what you live for. It's all the blood, sweat and tears and bonding and collaboration. It's as, as a practitioner, you really, want, you really want to work with people from the ground up, get your hands dirty, get, the, get in the guts of it. And when you work on a, a, small, a small feature with a small crew and a very open crew, because no one's there for the money, they're all there for the passion of the story and they want it to work as, well, as much as you do. So, you know, you're, you're there together making something in the, in the shit, in the storms, in the cold, in the wet. And it, yes, it's hard at times and yes, it's frustrating at times and yes, it's, you know, you're really bending over backwards to get something, but you're doing it together and you're forming, forming this bond. So... I love making films like this, and you very rarely get the opportunity to do it, and uh, I think it's great. I'm sorry to be a bully, but I'm going to stick to the question. What if it's just a moment, a moment of bliss, a moment of, like, that's not too good? Okay, a moment of bliss and a moment, a moment of dislike. Um, Saturday morning, 6 o'clock in the... Saturday, 6 o'clock in the morning, uh, being extremely hungover... Uh, and being told that you're going up a tree 80 metres and it's wet and you have to stay there for six hours and you have to, you have to look as comfortable and calm and collected as you're supposed to be. That was bliss. <laughs> and it was also not bliss, but, yeah. Being up there was amazing. It was just incredible. Terrifying, but you know, you, when, do you get, when do I get to do that? You know, when does it... It's just perfect... Uh, for me, again, you know, when you get an opportunity to do a film like this, there are a lot of things that uh, you, you get to do that you wouldn't normally do. So I got to hang around with Brett Robin um, a great deal um, and, and drink beer with him. and So that was all wonderful. But uh, really, moments for me were um, felling the trees. You know, I, I actually got to do that. Um, Brett would prepare the tree... Uh, and then, you know, having this um, 
a conflict of emotions while the tree was coming down or whacking into it with an axe or the chainsaw. And um, I don't know if it's a moment of bliss, but it's certainly a moment, you know, that I got to experience that I would otherwise never have had. Um, as far as um, moments that aren't great, uh, I had a similar experience to Daniel. I was told by Mary, the producer, at like 10 o'clock on one night, yes, she did, sweetheart. <laughs> I said, are we filming tomorrow? It was a Sunday. And she said, no, it's going to be too windy. So I got that as the, okay, that's the go-ahead. I can really open up here. And so I did. And, and uh, got woken up by John Maynard at like 7 o'clock saying, come on, neighbour, we're going. And then that was the day I was chainsawing and, and doing all these things and had to, that's the best acting I did. To, to get it over everyone that I was fine. Yeah, you're right, Maddie. Could I go? Is this true? No. Yes, it is. <laughs> no, Matt was so keen to stay out that night that he, <laughs> he, he was saying, so we're not going to film. We're not going to film, are we? Yeah. No, no. And I s sort of said, maybe not. Maybe. And that was enough for me. See, weekend away with our kids. <laughs> uh, cut loose a little bit. So, look, it was, it was, yeah, that was a, a not a great day, but it was, in the same breath, it was all wonderful. That's okay. Okay, who's got a question? This time we'll go like that. So, if you've got a question, if you want to ask anything, feel free. Well done on a great film. Um, I'm interested in the script. With the film not containing a lot of dialogue, was the script shorter than the page per minute? standard and I mean also interested in a lot of those um, very atmospheric, very well composed shots, were they storyboarded or were they just found in the moment and then put into the edit? Uh, yeah, no, it was that was all considered um, I didn't necessarily do storyboards but would sp in my year out there spending time in the environment working out angles and that kind of thing and then deepening that with my cinematographer um, it, yeah, they weren't necessarily just random shots that we, pretty shots that we gathered. Everything had to serve a purpose, and and push the story forward. Um, but yeah, the the script was what was it? Hundred pages. The first draft was one eighty, and then yeah, final draft was ninety, and it's a ninety-minute film. There was a question just down here. Can you tell us about the red circle as a symbol? Um, the red wanna, circle... Did everyone hear that? The question was, could you tell us about the red circle as a symbol? Yeah. So to me and, and Tash, we always spoke about it, um, the circularity of, of, of life and of death and eternity, those... Um, sort of ever continuing cycles within nature and um, yeah of, of, of life and death and the continuity there um, and the, the seed that grows out of that um, decomposing log I guess that's this idea of yeah um, destruction and of, of, of regeneration within the environment and a hint to this idea of a redemptive death that it actually uh, is something that we will all go through and something that is natural, a cycle reflected in our lives and within nature. Questions? Yes. Um, 
Hello, thank you. Thanks. Um, I just want to know what it was like having someone like John Maynard around. I mean, obviously he's such Pretty a... Pretty scary. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. No, I mean, he's, he's a great, um, yeah, sort of friend and, and a mentor figure and he makes you feel safe and gives you room to, to play. Um, he's got a pretty high bullshit meter, so he's very down the line. You know, that gives you the feeling of being in a safe place and also uh, impresses upon you to do your best and do, and do more than your best because it's, he'll just be straight down the line. There's no grey... It's usually black or white with John. It's yes or no. It's shit or it's not, which is pretty good. I should just say, like for those of you who don't know, his work, he's made um, Vigil and Navigators and The Bank and, and The Boys and distributed... Um, or he did Romulus, My Father, and Balabo. Uh, lots, of, lots of really great Aussie films. So he was the, uh, the producer that I really wanted to work with. And um, when I met up with him. He, he did Angel at My Table and Sweetie, so Jane Campion's first films. He likes um, to work with, with new directors. Um, he came out of retirement for you, didn't he? He did come out of retirement, yeah. He, he had sort of hung up his boots um, for a time. And, but, yeah, we met up and, and got along. I tried to pitch him projects, um, not necessarily fell. There was a couple of things, but he would shut me down every time I, I tried. And he just kept taking me to art galleries and just hanging out. And I'm like, what, what's going on here? This is not the normal sort of step. You know, usually it's like, oh, yeah, you pitch something and someone says no and they tell you to go away. Um, eventually he, we started talking story, but I realised that he was just trying to get to know me and see whether he wanted to spend, you know, three, four years of his life um, with me, which was pretty smart. He's, he's very, uh, yeah, he, he always does things in a very unorthodox kind of way. Questions? Hi. Um, I'm just wondering, in your film, you had um, some really beautiful shots of nature, really intimate um, shots of ants and spiders and leaves falling to the ground that were really, really beautiful. And I was wondering, I've got my own theories, but I was wondering why it was important to you to have that as part of the film. I think because nature was to be such a such a, a character and have such a presence it needed to be respected and for the say a story a, the story of an ant um, to be as um, to be on the screen amongst stories of, of humans is to kind of equalize and um, to, to bring some respect to pay a, a homage to these tiny little stories that often go unnoticed hi um I thought the sound on this film was just phenomenal. It was just amazing. And I was just wondering how much sort of, when you were filming, was it a big thing or was a lot of it post-production? Uh, we, we had a really, um, yeah, wonderful, pretty amazing um, sound recordist in Steve Bond. And um, he, yeah, he, a lot of his Atmoses were used in the end film. Um, but yeah, we did build and expand upon that and I guess Emma Bortignon who's, who's very experienced has, and has made um, done sound for a lot of my favourite Australian films including Noise um, she, she went out there into the woods herself and, and uh, was able to listen through these massive libraries of different kinds of birds and different kinds of wind and, and just yeah she, she had a, a wonderful um, palette to work with this could be a mean act, but Brett, I wonder if you would tell us what you think of the film. 
And what it was, come on, come up here. Oh, yeah, You're a star of the show, come on. Come on. Brett Robin. <laughs> You're blushing. I'm sorry, this is so mean, but I'll give you an easier question first. What was it like for this bunch of filmmakers to land up in your neighbourhood? I think um, when I got the first phone call, I was very hesitant. Um, a bit wary, weren't you? Yeah, I was, yeah. Look, I'd, I've never had anything to do with anything like this before. Um, so uh, I threw another gentleman down home. We'd done our bit of homework on him to see what was involved in it. Um, we took him out to lunch in the Arrow Valley and I spent, what, three weekends, I think, driving around, getting to know him. I invited him into home. And, um, yeah, they um, eventually give us a script. They had no actors at that time. And we um, took them around, showed them logging coops, log trucks, lots of different stuff. Um, yeah, and I got the honour of being able to work alongside some of the yeah, best people in the industry. What did you think of the film? First time I seen it, um, because I was involved in it, um, I was sort of nervous and didn't... Uh, the way I read the script was different than what I see in the movie. So the actual... I watched it again last night and I loved it to be honest, yeah, I really, because I've, I'm a father as well, I've got a little girl, um, to, to do some of the stunt driving um, for Luke's um, character, um, it, it was sort of, it touched my heart as well to, to have a little girl being run over when I've got a little girl, yeah. That was a really mean act of me to bring you up yes, here, but thank thanks you. very much. Question at the back. Yeah, the audio was especially beautiful. And can you give us a, um, a rundown on how you worked with the, the composer? And also, did you use a lot of Foley? Two separate questions. What yeah, is yeah. Foley? Maybe you so, should tell people that too. Luke Altman, can we have a microphone for this young man, our composer here? I'd, I'd love to hear just how, about how you and I got involved from you. Oh, um, through, a, through a mutual friend um, who, who asked me to, to send you some music um, and it uh, really took off from there, didn't it? Yeah, and how did, what, I can't even remember, so that's why I'm asking oh, you. Oh, right, okay, I guess, <laughs> I guess I'd better. I'm really hungover. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, uh, our mutual friend, Samsung Galo, um, uh, said uh, that I should send some music to you. Uh, you're a filmmaker and I should, I should uh, get you some of my stuff. And I didn't take him seriously. Well, you'd never recorded really anything no, or no, done a film score or anything should, like yeah, that. I say that at the, at the outset. I've never done any work for screen whatsoever. I've written for the concert platform and that's all I've done. So even heading into a studio was a, was a new experience. Hmm. So it, it took us a while to to find the, the sound for the film, didn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm used to, um, as I said, writing for the platform and that the music being the only thing that's going on, essentially. So, so the process of learning to step into the background was, um, was great. A lot of rejection and really constructive sort of criticism um, and finding a way to sort of articulate um, sort of overtones um, rather than uh, making musical statements. 
Foley, Foley, Foley. Um, yeah, there was there was quite a lot of Foley just to get those the details um, in the in the sounds. We had a a sand pit and a you know a couple of bits of fabric and some axes and yeah, you just recreate a lot of those moments as good as your sound recordist is out there with all the machinery and birds and wind and stuff. You can never get it perfect. Uh, the initial relationship of the father and the little girl who um, gets run over is sort of essential to the whole movie because you have to believe it was portrayed in a way that you really believed that they were father and daughter and the incredible sensitivity there. And I'm wondering about that little girl and how she coped uh, with the horrible scene and... Um, and also how you were able to build up that level of trust with her to portray that relationship. Um, uh, Bella, uh, I was lucky enough to, um, in the pre-production period, spend a great deal of time with her uh, through Cass, um, getting us together. And, uh, and because I have children myself uh, around that age, um, you know, I, I knew how to behave, I guess, with them and how to interact with, with little Bella. And we also became family friends, my wife and Bella's mum and dad. Uh, and so spending time with, with those, um, those people as well, knowing when to cross the line into being affectionate and saying, okay, now I have the trust of the family. I have the trust of Bella. It's okay to hug her. I can give her a kiss. I can treat her as she would be physically anyway, my daughter. Um, and so that took a long time to get there and a long time for her to feel comfortable with that as well. I mean, as a father, you know when to, to move to that point. Uh, and so that was just through a period of time before we started shooting that that was made possible, which was really essential. Otherwise, it can be really, I imagine, be very uncomfortable for the young girl. Um, as far as the scene of her dying, that was um, uh, horrible, um, you know, not a, not a great day, you know, of emotionally because at that point I'm very connected to Bella and, and it does look so real and so you are put in that position and, and to, you know, to, to go there then it's one of those moments where I, you don't need as an actor to use any sort of association and what would it be like if my daughter died or it's there. And I love little Bella so it was traumatic for me and, and really traumatic for her mother who was there as well on set and for little Bella um, she coped with it seamlessly you know I think there's a there's such a quality about young actors uh, or just young people in in general kids um, because they're so unformed in a way their intelligence is very raw and it's it's not held back it's not um, hidden it is what it is and their honesty is also it is what it is. And so then it gave both Kaz and I an enormous amount of scope to, to be honest back and say, this is what you need to do. And this is only make-believe. And, and, and those times, you know, there was a lot of um, physicality where I could hold her and, and, and cuddle her and, and ask her if she was okay. But she handled it, as most kids do, much better than adults do. So When she yeah, realised yeah. that the blood... Um was like a, a sugary syrup that our wonderful uh, makeup artist here, Olivia, still um, 
had put together. I think it, it made it more exciting to me. We have to keep keep reapplying. But the way you dealt with the violence in that scene was quite beautiful, I thought, because there's been quite a bit of... Um, that's the wrong way to say it. But, you know, there's been a lot of discussion on social media about some of the films in the festival and the level of violence and also the sexual level of violence against women, whereas to see the way you handled that scene, I, th I thought it was great. That's just yeah. my opinion. Um, who has a question? Can we have this one first just because... Yeah, and then we'll go to the back again. This is a question for Daniel. Um, your last couple of major roles, Snowtown and Now Fell, it appears that you've had the great good fortune of weeks in advance of production, immersing yourself in the community, the environment of where that story is being told. An amazing luxury, I'm sure. Is it a really important part of your process as an actor? And also, in inevitably, you're going to be getting more and more roles. <laughs> Scheduling is probably going to become a nightmare. How do you imagine contracting that process to keep your process as an actor intact going into future roles? I haven't really thought about it much. Um, I've been lucky, yes, I've been extremely lucky to have the, the fortune to have the time. Um, both times before both films, I haven't had any real-life responsibility, so I can be completely selfish and take the time that I wanted to take to delve into the, the world and the character and immerse myself in the script and create a collaboration with the filmmaker. So that's been a great gift. Uh, you can't always do that, as you said. Life does get in the way a lot. Um, time, money, people, all these things can get in the way. Um, I'm still discovering how I like to work. I think this is how I would like to continue to work. It's given me confidence to do it again. Um, the way we worked on Fell and the way I, the preparation that we took and the time that we took feels right. Um, I would hope that in future choices, if I am given the choice, that I will be able to take the time needed and those that love me and that uh, in my life will give me that opportunity and uh, let me escape to this other world for however long it takes me to get there uh, and trust that I will come back. Can uh, I just say, yeah. um, Dan met his, the love of his life oh, yeah. actually on, on our um, film set. You can I tell. We're still married. Yeah. <laughs> Is that not, that's not me? Oh, okay. Yes, I did. So that was a double fortune. So one of the best experiences of my life. Um, it's not every day that happens. But uh, yes, I having the trust of the people around you to know that you will come back, and having the faith within yourself to take the uh, take the leap to believe that what you're doing works for you. Um, that's something that's becoming more apparent to me. So yes, I hope to work like this the rest of my life. Yeah. There was a question at the back and then we've got time for one more if anyone wants to ask it. Question at the back. Question for Casimir. Can you please explain to us how we stream and actually watch the film? How, how what, sorry? How, as we can stream and pay to watch Fell. Can we watch it on our iPhones? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not recommended. <laughs> no, okay, yeah, no, highly recommended. Mary... <laughs> 
Sorry, you can, um, if you want to stream Fell, please, um, please pass the word around to everyone um, that you know in New South Wales, Queensland, South Australia and the Northern Territory. And you can, you can see it on an iPhone, an iPad, a TV screen. I'm sure you can hook up a projector if you can work out how to do it. You know, I mean, we're trying to um, sort of promote the idea of having viewings um, as groups, you know, little um, screening parties. So, yeah, please, please do tell people about it. It's, yeah, there's 30 hours left. It's only available until the end of Sunday and it's 9 99 It's a good price. And you go to the Sydney Film Festival website or if you're in South Australia and or, sorry, you're not in South Australia, if your friends are in South Australia and Northern Territory and you want to tell them about it, you go to the Adelaide Film Festival website. It's sort of film distribution history in the making, this video on demand initiative. John Maynard. Lucky last question. Uh, yes, um I'm just a pleb, I'm not in the film crowd, uh, but I really love this movie, it was truly wonderful. Um, is there a release date? Is it going to the cinemas? So I can tell everybody. Yeah, it will, it will go to the cinemas um, <laughs> later, later on in the year, but we don't have exact dates. Um, with the video on demand and, and festival strategies and the politics of that, it, it's a work in progress, but John Maynard is a, a wonderful distributor um, so that makes makes it easier for us, actually. Um, yeah, he's I mean he's distributed Samson and Delilah and and lots of other great films, um, uh, Whale Rider and uh, Once Were Warriors. And look at it, you know, when there is a theatrical release for it, when it is at the cinemas, then it, you know, obviously because of the the way it was shot and everyone's spoken about the sound, it's a wonderful experience to see that film um, at a cinema. It really is. Um, the ideal s scenario for it. Yeah, it was sh it was shot for the big screen. Yeah. There's a there's a website that you can follow. If, uh, I'm not very savvy with the computers, Facebook and stuff. So, fellfilm.com. That'll have DanielHenschel.com. Thank you for coming. <laughs> it's been great, guys. Thanks. I really appreciate it. On that note. Casimir, Daniel, Matt, thank you so much for talking to us. Um, Thanks congratulations for having us, Sandy. Thank you on for having us. making Thanks, such guys. a great film. Please give them a round of applause. <laughs> <laughs>